Well, it's funny because when I was a kid, like when I was like f- up to five years old, I was still living in the states, and so all I would hear was hip hop, I guess, because my parents would listen to a lot of hip hop. And then I moved to Europe, and I started hearing different music, like pop music, house music, and stuff like that. But when I was younger, I also started skateboarding, and I was around a lot of people who liked metal and rock and stuff like that. So at some point in my life, I was into like Corn, uh, Slipknot, and other bands like that. So I was really listening to everything. And then I got into a phase where I was listening to a lot of R&B. And it was a lot of straight songs at, at the time. I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was that. And then now, at this point, I just listen to everything. This is Musicians can thrive a podcast community for anyone seeking to make money in the music industry musicians audio engineers managers producers booking agents everyone across all niches welcome my name is gabrielle i'm a singer songwriter these stories are for you i hope they'll help you find new ways to thrive as a musician American-European rapper, singer, and songwriter, Dee Harmon has a vision for his music career. He's a versatile creator, unafraid of moving to a new country to support his art. Dee Harmon developed his stagecraft growing up in Luxembourg, where he got opportunities to open shows for well-known artists like Mario, YG, and Ray Strummer. He's the kind of artist who's capable of gathering a crowd around him without being on a stage, drawing them into the music and his stories with the finesse of a pro. It is really fun that you've got this story of being both an American, but also a European. And so for those who don't know, where is Luxembourg? How did you get there? And what was it like? you know, moving as a small child? Well, first of all, I got there because my mom moved out there when I was about five because she had family out there. When I was five, I moved out there and I I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then we moved to Luxembourg. And it's basically a, a tiny country, super small country in Europe between Germany, France and Belgium. And it's it's literally in something they call the Benelux because it's so small, I guess. It was cool growing up out there, but I always knew that if you had bigger, big dreams, like becoming a big musician or doing sports or whatever, you had to move because the country's so small that even if everybody listens to your music or even if everybody supports you, it's still not enough. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that really, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. At the end of the day, I really had no choice but to move. It's not that I really wanted to, but I had to do it to just grow my following and get better connections. Part of why I ask is because if you grow up in the States, the question is usually, okay, so do I want to move to a music city like LA or New York or even Nashville if you're a country artist? So I find it really interesting that you picked Austin as your spot to come to. Well, it was Austin because my dad actually lives in San Antonio. 
Oh, cool. So that, was, that was the first. And then second, my first thought was going to L.A. I was trying to go out there and go study out there. But I checked rent and I checked the prices out there and it was way too expensive. Mm-hmm. So I really just I didn't have no choice at the end of the day. And then I checked Austin and Austin seemed like a very nice spot. And I love Austin and I don't know if I'll, I'll ever move, but if I do, it'll probably be somewhere still in Texas. That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. You made the sort of quintessential choice to move to make a better opportunity for your music career. But how did you get to that point in the first place? Like, why, when did you know that music was what you wanted to build a life around? Honestly, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but I probably at a, like a very young age because I think I started working on music. I started making music when I was about 16 or something. Well, as soon as I started, I already knew that's what I wanted. And to me, it was really like, there's no other option. You got to, you have to make this. And it really became a thing where I had no choice when I realized that working for other people just wasn't my thing. Because at some point back home, I was even working for this uh, this clothing store called Rebounce. And I loved them to death. It's just at some point I had to tell them, because they're my best friends, but I had to tell them, I love this place, but I can just tell this is not what I want to do. And that was a perfect spot for me to work at because I was making connections and I was I was able to talk to all my followers and supporters and whatnot, but it just didn't feel right. I just knew I was supposed to be making music. And so that's when I was like, okay, I need to... I also, it's funny because I also had a conversation with this one lady who was a good friend as well. And she was like, so D, why aren't you, if you really want this, why don't you move? And I was just like, because, you know, I got my family and friends out here. I got my whole life out here and then healthcare and then this is expensive and I don't want to go out there and be by myself and all that. And she was just like, okay, that's all excuses. And then I was kind of just coming up with more excuses on the spot. And she just kept explaining that it was excuses. And I pretty much quit my job the next week and started planning stuff, you know, started planning this big move. (laughs) Yeah. That's really, that's interesting. I love how you had a friend who basically helped you realize these things are barriers, but they're not barriers that are impossible to move past. Right, right. I always had... I do have to say I always had great mentors and even working at that clothing store, the boss was my mentor. And even when I quit, of course they understood. And we, I actually talked to, talked to him an hour ago and I show him my music. We talk about music. We talk about what, whichever moves I'm trying to make. And he always gives me feedback. So he knew it was just a, a move I had to make and he always mm. respected it. That's amazing. It is so great when you find a mentor who really, you know, like clicks with you, but also has that insight that you really need and that, you know, some people, they can give advice and it's just (laughs) like (laughs) their best take on what they think you should do, but it's not really as applicable to your situation. But it sounds like he's a mentor who really gets it. I mean, to me, it's just like, 
I have to take advice from people who are successful. Mm-hmm. And that person was and still is very successful. So why not take that advice? Now I'm not going to sit here and just take advice from anyone, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's one of the things that when I was first trying to find my way as an artist and figure out what my options were, what the paths were that I could take, the hardest part when I was starting that was finding who do I go to for advice? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. It's very hard to find those people. And even that's, I had those people back home, but I moved to the States and I have to be honest and say, I still haven't found those mentors and those people that are able to help me, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. How long have you lived here? It's been about three years now. Okay. Yeah. Well, if it helps you feel any better, it took me about three to five years to start feeling like I really found, especially in Austin and the music scene here. I feel like there are so many pockets of it that you don't know about it until you stumble across it. Oh yeah, no doubt. While we're talking about that, I I met you at a concert that was part of the promoted culture hall and Asante's a talented man and creating wonderful things for indie musicians so how did you connect with him because he's a really really great person to have found oh no he's definitely the a very good person that i found i feel super blessed i found him um but i don't know if i i know we we met each other on instagram first but i don't know if i reached out to him first or if he reached out to me yeah makes but, sense. Um, yeah I, I know that we were just talking on social media and uh, he invited me to a show first and I went out there and, and performed. And then I, I noticed that something in, I don't know if it's an Austin, a Texas or a States thing, but what they like to do is the whole pay to play thing where you got to pay to perform. Mm. And I think Asante was one of the first people that actually just asked me if I wanted to perform and didn't charge me or anything. And there were actually people at the event. And I feel like every time he invites me to events, I, I always bring my people, but I never really have to worry about that because it's always either sold out or he has enough people to come and support, you know, mm-hmm. and he still doesn't charge people. And if I'm not mistaken, when it's shows and it's a lot of artists, he still pays every single artist, even if it's not, it's not much, he's still going to take care of everybody. And yeah. That doesn't happen a lot out here, I think. I think you're right on track. And that's one of the things that I really admire about Asante because he's really trying to help indie musicians and help them find their way. And part of that is money. You deserve to get paid for the time that you spend entertaining an audience. Exactly. And he's, I just like how professional he is. To me, professionalism is very big. I'm the type, if we meet, try to meet and you flake on me, we're probably not, I'm probably not working with you again. If you're not too professional, I just don't like working. And he is very professional. So he knows that no matter what he needs me for, he could just hit my line and I'm there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You like to know that you can trust people and rely on them. What was it like playing shows in Luxembourg? How does the pay-to-play 
anything happen or not happen there. In Luxembourg, that definitely doesn't happen. The thing out there is there was no such thing as pay to play. And I was already a little more popular out there because I had grown a little audience and a following. So I was actually getting paid to perform every time. And the very good thing for me was just that I was one of the only American artists. So every time they would have bigger artists come out there and perform like American artists, often they would just reach out to me to open up for those artists because I was the only American and I could, I'm the only one that could, you know, do something similar. Oh. And so I, yep. So that was, that was my, I guess, something big for me. And I got to meet a lot of big artists and that's, I think that's how I grew most of my following. That's so interesting. So is that how you got opportunities to open for people like Fat Joe and YG and Race Rummerd? Exactly. Exactly. And then at, at, you also make connections and people kind of knew that I was one of the only American rappers or whatever. So they knew that I was trying to open up for all of them. And if they didn't ask me, I was definitely reaching out to them to do it. <laughs> Smart move. Oh, yeah. Every time. <laughs> So what was it like opening for big artists like this? It was so dope because, of course, I would always be scared because that crowd is not coming to see you. They're coming to see whoever you open it up for. So it's very scary because you don't want to get on stage and mess up. And they're just like, all right, YG, 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 we want YG. Of course you want YG, but I'm hoping I'm hoping I could do something good for y'all still. So... I was always scared, but I always got a very positive reaction and some very positive feedback. And I also think that's because most people that would come out to see those shows automatically thought I was from the States. Because every time I performed, I would speak English, even though I know how to speak different languages or their language or whatever. But I would really perform for them. And I think they think I was from somewhere else. And so even after the shows, they all want pictures and the autographs and all that. It was very cool. But at the end of the day, I feel like people think when you open up for all these artists, you get to meet all these artists and kick it with them and all that. And that is the case sometimes, but definitely not always. I've opened up for artists and didn't even get to talk to them for a second. Or I only get, got to see them while they were performing or whatever. Huh. I like that you pointed that out. That's important for people to know, I feel like, because there are a lot of assumptions around, like if you're trying to give yourself an opportunity where you could really leverage something, if you right. want to talk to a bigger artist, I feel like a lot of people would think, oh, all I need to do is just open for them and that's my foot in the door. Nah, definitely not. And at some point, I remember, I guess just being younger and feeling some type of way because those artists were my idols. You know what I'm saying? I would mm -hmm. really look up to those people. And every time I would open up, I would try to talk to them or try to show them my music or whatnot. And sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. But every time it didn't, I would feel some type of way, not realizing that those guys were actually on tour so they could make new fans. And so they could still keep building and all that. So at the end of the day, it's like, they're still working on themselves and you gotta you gotta do you until you get to where they at and then they might be able to work with you but they can't just help any artist you know what i'm saying mm, yeah 
it's just I, I mean it's just like that if i went on tour right now and i was out there touring and trying to get the bag and trying to get trying to grow my my following and whatnot and younger artists came up to me and wanted me to i don't know give them features or sign them or whatever i would like to do that at some point but right now i, I still got to grow myself i like that you pointed that out because I feel like there's a lot of assumptions around, okay, once I hit some certain level of fame and, you know, financial success from music, I'm set. And I don't really need to work at continuing to grow the audience and continuing to strengthen the connections I have with my fans. And it sounds like, you know, even if you're as big as YG or Ray Remmer, those guys are still working at it and it doesn't end when you get successful exactly i mean now obviously the, all those people are set but when i was opening up for them they were still growing but yeah i just think when you're growing you can't i mean you can help different people but you can't afford to just help everyone yeah makes a lot of sense and also yeah. there's just there's so many people like at some point you gotta wait and see okay which person is going to either need my help the most or make it the most worth my time to help them Yes, that. And also, they are on tour, so they see different people every night. And they got different people asking for help every single night. And it's also, and I also sat back and listened to my songs I had dropped back then or, or listened to what I had showed them. And now I'm embarrassed. And now I could understand how, um, no, even if someone, somebody showed me their music and it sounded like I sounded back then, I probably wouldn't work with them because mm. it just, I just wasn't there yet. You know what I'm Weren't saying? ready? No, definitely not. How long ago was that? What year? Oh, I, that was probably like, I don't know, 2015, 16, 17. It was really up to until I moved because I, I feel like my art really evolved when I moved out here. Mm, so I feel yeah. like every a lot before that, it was decent, but it was definitely not where it was supposed to be. I can see how getting to open for artists that have such a large following like that, it could really help guide you and sort of show you, okay, this is where I could be if I continued to hone my craft. And Oh yeah. It's very, it's very inspirational just being backstage and watching the show from like backstage and, just seeing how everything works and seeing how they work with their DJs and stuff. And that's, I think that's how I became the performer I am to, today because mm-hmm. I got to, I got to just watch all them and study all those performances and study how they controlled the crowd and all those little moves. And I just started doing it myself and it seems to work and people seem to like it. So I'm definitely going to keep doing it. Oh, by all means, please do. I was so impressed by your performance. Thank you.
I feel like that's one of the harder things to learn. Like the first step is just, you know, get good music, create something worth listening to, and then practice it enough so that you don't mess up when you're performing. But after that, really drawing people in, holding their attention beyond the music being good, that's one of the harder things to learn and the way that you could just really, like it was a smallish crowd. We were outside, you weren't on an official stage, but you still showed up with the same level of, hey, this is what we're here to do. This is what you're going to get. Oh, I mean, I was that's something I literally learned from my mentors because out there, out in Luxembourg, it's not like I was always opening up for people. Obviously, I had small shows too. And that's when I was taught to just perform like there's a big crowd every time because even if there's three people in the crowd, those three people paid to come see you. Hmm. So you still got to give them what they came for. I think that's very important. But yeah, like you were you were talking about not messing up or it has to be great music in the first place. But I think I think controlling the crowd and stuff like that might be a little more important than even the music or even you messing up. Because there's been times when I messed up, but just being able to talk to the crowd and feel the energy, you, it doesn't really mess mess with you while you're performing, even though you messed up. And mm-hmm. I guess sometimes some some songs cannot even be that good, but just because you're vibing with the crowd, it's a vibe, you know? As yeah. long as you got the crowd, you're good. That makes a lot of sense. It's sort of my understanding, just based on the artists I've talked to and the artists I've seen performing around Austin and other places that that's kind of the order that it goes. You know, they focus last on performing and first on the music and having it perfect. So, Oh no, that's definitely how it goes. Yeah. But when it comes to prioritizing the performance and finding ways to control the crowd, like how did you start learning that? Cause I, I agree. I think it is, equally important if not more important to the music itself i think i i definitely learned that from all the artists i opened up for but also i noticed something i do since i moved out here because i think one of my fears was moving out here because out there no matter what i did people would always like it because it was english so no Mm -hmm. matter what i did they would like it but out here i was just kind of scared to move and think oh, my music might be good and then move and people are like, ah, oh my God, you don't even sound that good. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I always knew I had to come with something else if it wasn't the music. So to me, it was the performances. And also something I do before every performance is I'll have my set list and I'll go through the set list and I'll even perform in my room in front of a mirror if I have to. But I just figure out what every song is meant for something. Every song is going to be a vibe. If it's, if it's a slower song, I'm going to grab the mic stand. I'm going to put the mic on there, start singing and wave my arm or something. If it's something, if it's a trap song and like a party song, I'm going to do something to get everybody hype. And I want everybody to do it with me. So I'm going to figure out, okay, how can I communicate to them that I want them to help me with this without literally saying, hey, put your hands up. Hey, do this, do that. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? That's really cool. I appreciate how you broke that down. Thank you. No problem. We've made it about halfway through the show, and we're going to have a quick pause. Ads are irritating distractions, so they'll never be a part of the Musicians Can Thrive podcast. 
Thank you for listening. To make sure you get new episodes as soon as I release them, subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I'm so glad I get the honor of sharing these musicians' stories, and it would mean a lot if you would be willing to help me share them. Spotify has this awesome feature where you can share podcast episodes directly to Instagram stories. So if you're willing, tell your followers about your favorite episode. Last thing. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leaving a quick review helps other musicians learn about Musicians Can Thrive. I appreciate your support. Back to the show. You mentioned this clothing store that you worked at and how it was a big influence for you. And when I saw you at this Culture Hall show, you were sort of premiering your first round of merch. And I was really impressed, again, by the design that you did. It felt unique. It felt visually interesting. It felt like something that, you know, it's not just a band t-shirt. It's got a cool streetwear vibe. And then it also just happens to be your merch. So you're welcome. So how did you, like, it, it seems like working at that clothing store helped sort of give you ideas outside of music and just related to the merch it definitely inspired me so much it motivated me to do my own thing and i've been talking to the to that clothing store owner ever since so i've known him for over 10 years i've always gotten ideas from him or helped them with ideas or whatever but when it came to my clothes i knew that i didn't want it i didn't want my clothing to be merch if that makes sense i -hmm. wanted it to be a brand and and then the way i came up with the name because it's pronounced valeur which means value in uh, french and the way i came up with that is because i had a first mixtape i had dropped which was called value of time and then i dropped the second one when i moved that was called value of time too and i'm working on a project right now that's going to be called valeur and that's also the name of the clothing brand, not the merch. Of course, it's going to be, okay, they're going to know the clothing brand because of me. But at the end of the day, I kind of want both to be kind of separated, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I I, th- I don't know. I've always thought about, you know, one day, when am I, whenever I'm very old, I probably won't be able to make music like that no more. But I could still keep the clothing going, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah, that that was just very important to me. And uh, I, even like the, the Rebounds people, that's that's what the clothing store is called. They always knew that I've liked very simple but clean clothes. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to do that with my own clothing brand. So that's why you got the very small logo in the front and then the bigger logo in the back. Well, it looks damn good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. But yeah, it's not even out yet. I still want, I'm I'm still planning on how I want to release it right and get it out to the people because at the end of the day, I also wanted to get, I, w- I want it to be available worldwide and not just in the States. So I want to, I, I got to plan everything right. And I don't just want to drop it and then have to drive everywhere and give people their t-shirts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like you need an e-commerce website and some shipping resources. Right. <laughs> but then again, I also know, a lot of people back in Europe. So I might not even have to ship from here. They might just be able to print the stuff 
back home and people can just go get it back in Luxembourg or whatever, you know? Oh, that would be very convenient. Yes, ma'am. I really admire how you know right now that you want to make a clothing brand of your own and basically take it beyond just merch because it's a great source of income and it's yours. You control it. It's like your own second business. If music was your first business, the clothing is a second one and they complement each other so well. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, like you say, it's it's a great source of income and, I mean that's not the very first cause why I'm why I'm doing it but I just know I'm I'm not very good with authority so I I just won't be able to work for anyone else so I have to find different ways to make money on my own without having a boss you know I just need mm-hmm. to be my own boss somehow and I think merch can help a lot and then you if you think about it you got merch you got the streams and you got shows when we get to perform again so i think there's different ways to to make money as an artist because we all know that it's definitely not cds or whatever right now (laughs) yeah (laughs) definitely not (laughs) right and the streams aren't paying that well unless you're making millions so yeah i mean they're they're pennies at this point exactly i do feel like there's this wisdom in what you're doing too like of course, the income isn't the primary motivation for creating your own clothing and bringing out that design and you know expressing that part of yourself. But like you said, at some point you're going to be old and touring brings great money, but it's also hard on your body. And so exactly, if you can have other things lined up, it definitely helps you stay resilient through you know your whole life. Right. And I don't know if I read the quote or if somebody says something like that, but it it was something like, if you're not making money while you're asleep, you're broke or something like that. Maybe mm-hmm. not, not you're broke, but it was something similar. Mm-hmm. And that's real. I feel like with merch and streams and stuff like that, that's how you can go to sleep, wake up in the morning and you've made money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's very important. Yeah, for sure. Well, my day job is actually in marketing for e-commerce. So if you ever want any pointers on good tools to look for getting oh, things started. Already know. I'm reaching <laughs> out to you after this. <laughs> <laughs> it is my genuine pleasure. You can hit me up anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm kind of a marketing nerd. As much as I love music, there's a part of my brain that definitely geeks out over that stuff. Okay, no, perfect. I actually need that right now. <laughs> cool. Happy I can help. Yes, ma'am. Spending every day working on the thing you love is a worthy goal to pursue. At the same time, making space to simply enjoy life and be present with your loved ones is also worth prioritizing. As an independent creator, an independent music artist, one of the hardest things to develop in your career is financial resilience. Most of the time, you have to trade your time for money. Whether it's performing on a stage, speaking at events, or something like producing music for other artists. But if you can find a way to make money while you sleep, really at any time of the day, without you personally managing it, 
that's one of the most valuable revenue streams you could have. And that's why I'm so excited about D. Harmon's vision for his clothing brand. No matter where he is in the world, or what he's doing at that moment, his fans, really his customers, they can support him by buying one of his products. In this case, his clothing. To circle back to money, because, you know, it's one of these things that as artists, we don't like thinking about first. It's so much better feeling to just focus on creating great art and making people feel something with that art. But the money helps us keep it going. So you mentioned streams and touring and merch. When it comes to things like syncing your music for a TV show or a commercial, is that something that you'd like to also pursue? Yeah, definitely. All of that. Uh, syncing my music for TV shows, for video games, movies and stuff like that. Definitely. I would love to. I'm actually meeting with people today that actually know more about that and can help me with that. So we'll see what they say. Oh, that's exciting. Yes, ma'am. When you were first getting started in Luxembourg, did you just know sort of off the bat that, okay, I'm performing, this is my time, I've put investment into this to get into this, I should get paid for this time? Or was it more like, you know, I'll just kind of see, practice with a couple shows, and then eventually you got to the point where you felt comfortable asking to get paid for shows? Exactly. It was, it was B. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, say someone, say you're organizing a show, right? And mm-hmm. you're looking for artists. If someone asks you to perform um, and you have to put them on, on the bill or whatever, but they barely have any followers, but they've never performed or whatever, why would you pay that person? First yeah. of all, that person is not going to bring no, no crowd. They're not bringing no money in. So why would you waste that money? Like, I can understand that organizers wouldn't want to pay money for an artist that's not bringing no money in. Yeah, that's for sure. Then it got to a point where I knew that, okay, if I have a show now, I mean, even for my release, my value of time one release party, I knew, okay, I can take this money, invest it into a venue, organize this release party, and I'm going to have enough people to show up to make money back so Mm -hmm. you just have to get to a point where you know you can attract a certain amount of people so for those who are getting started and trying to figure this out for the first time when was that point where you felt like you you were bringing enough people i think it's when you have shows and it's not just your friends showing up friends or family showing up you know Mm. and if i'm being honest even out here in the states for now when I perform, it's friends and family showing up, you know? But back home, that's when I think the difference is when you have a show and it's random people or it's fans you might know, but it's not necessarily your homies. Yeah. And I think that's when you start noticing, okay, I'm attracting more than just my loved ones. That's a great distinction. Thank you for that. No problem. It's really brave of you. You're like completely starting over and 
many ways coming here to the states with yeah a new, a new place a new audience it's yeah I, I definitely am and i think that was the scariest thing just moving and knowing you got to start over or whatever but i don't know it's either you stay where you at and you just have satisfied with that or you take it to the next level and I think as music artists, we're never really satisfied. So we always want to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And even me moving doesn't mean I lost my following back home. I still have them and I'm just adding people to the list. Yeah, that is the beauty of the technology we have now. Because even right. if you can't go like physically visit Luxembourg and do a show right now, you can do a live stream just for them if you wanted. True, true. And I actually have to work on that as well. But we'll try to work on a little release party or a list, live listening party or something. Oh, you have a new project that's coming out soon. Yes, ma'am. I don't have an exact date yet, but all the songs are pretty much recorded. I'm mixing everything right now. And as soon as we get it mastered, that's when I'll see how I want to drop it, when I want to drop it and all that. Because I've made the mistake where I, re- I drop release dates and stuff without it being mixed or mastered yet. You don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, that's that's a little too much pressure because you finish it and then you send it to get it mastered and now you get it, but whenever you try to release it on all the platforms and stuff, that's still going to take some time. Yeah. So, you don't when you give your followers the date, you want to respect that. Mhm. That is important for sure. I'm a songwriter myself and for a long time I thought that I wanted to live the life that you are building where you know I'm touring performing making records being an artist primarily and so I recorded an EP and I was like okay so this is what I need to do so I have something to send to a booking agent so I can get a show so I can get paid right And I made the mistake of like pitting myself to some date that I thought was, okay, that's when I quote need to have it out by. And I told people about it and I was like, okay, so I'm accountable now. And then it came to that date and the songs really were not ready. So I ended up kind of kicking myself with that. And it just really helped me learn like, okay, don't promise something before you know this is ready. Like until then, just say it's coming exactly. soon. <laughs> exactly. That's every time people say, when are you dropping? Coming soon. Even if you're not working on anything, coming soon. Yeah. That's something I learned from my, from my mentors as well. Because they would ask, hey, when you dropping that jacket? When you dropping that hoodie? And even if they weren't working on anything, it would be coming soon. It even became like an insider joke. <laughs> I love that. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that was really fun for me when I started sort of getting to know you on social media after that show that I met you at is basically, it seems like you were a model for Austin FC. Yeah, they they actually reached out to me to model for all the jerseys and all the merch they have. And it was very fun. It was one of the coolest shoots ever, and I met some very cool people. So, yeah, I actually can't wait for them uh, to open up that stadium so we can go to the games. (laughs) You and me both. I'm a big soccer, football fan. 
I'm not even the biggest fan, but I just like the vibe of stadiums and all that. It's just it's the energy is so just so cool. Yeah, I feel that. I was never a, an American football person, but when it comes to soccer or, you know, if we're in other places of the world, the real football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know what you mean. <laughs> that that was always something that I, I really loved, just the attitude of it in the game. And so I think it's really cool that you got to basically become part of that Austin culture because now anyone who goes to an often, sorry, I can't talk. goes goes to an austin fc game they'll see your your photo they'll see your face wearing the austin fc merch and so they'll go oh who's d Harmon? who's that guy he looks cool and then they'll find your music yeah hopefully it helps we'll see i don't know how it's gonna work I, i know i think it's on their website but i don't know how it's gonna work with the stadium if it's gonna be anywhere but that would be awesome yeah well still very cool opportunity for you to make yourself seen and heard in the austin community oh yeah no it was super dope and i'm very i felt very blessed to be able to do that it was very very nice thing to do i bet how did they find you it's funny because they just found me it was actually a photographer from seattle that was looking for the models and I don't know how, because I literally asked him, how did you find me? And he wasn't able to tell me. I just popped up on his Instagram and that was it. So I guess it was meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, one instance of the algorithm working in your favor. We'll take it. Finally, (laughs) right? That is so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So it sounds like you've got a pretty clear vision of where you want to go as an artist would you be willing to paint that picture like what does making it look like to you we know you've got the clothing brand and touring but just like full picture what would your ideal scenario look like honestly I've always said that I wouldn't necessarily have to be a millionaire (laughs) And I wouldn't necessarily need the fame either. I want to be able to be comfortable by doing what I love. That's my biggest thing. So I think doing what I love would be making music and working with my idols and stuff like that. So I I don't know. I feel like as long as I'm not able to hit up Tory Lanez or join a Lucas and say, Hey, I got this song for you. You want to hop on it or whatever and chill with them. And as long as I can't take care of my family and my future kids and whatnot, I won't be satisfied. So I think that perfect world would just be me making enough money to take care of everybody around me. Obviously I can't take care of everybody, but my loved ones at least by doing what I love and being able to connect with my role models. I think that's very important to me. Hmm. And obviously, you know, touring and all that comes with it as well. Yeah. It's a beautiful vision. Thank you. You're welcome. I ask because when I was a teenager trying to figure out what I want to do with my life and you know, in the States, especially, there's this huge pressure of like, you need to know exactly what you want to do because that's what you're going to go to college for. 
And I feel like there's a lot of pressure to be famous as an artist and that's what it takes to be successful. But really the fame isn't a prerequisite. You can be comfortable financially, mentally, you know, emotionally. You you can be making great art and having a devoted fan base. And right. That's all you need sometimes. I mean, yeah, there's people out there, especially in Europe. I feel like there's a lot of bands who perform every weekend and we don't even know the bands, but they're living off of their music because they're able to perform all over the place and they're still making enough money to, to live off of it. And they might just be satisfied with that. And now they're a musician, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't, I don't think you necessarily need the fame. I've also met musicians that, that have been on tour or whatever. And I'm thinking, Oh, wow, they're living that life. They're on tour. They're making money. And I follow them on social media, but I have more followers than them, you know? Mm. So it, I don't know. You just have to know that you don't necessarily need the fame to become a musician. But I also understand that since I want to make money off of music, and the only way to make money is to be famous, I guess. Yeah, especially with that threshold of streams and exactly getting money that way. So yeah, if you're not in the biggest playlist and all that, it's going to be hard for you to make money off of streaming. Now you can still go tour and perform in front of a couple of people, but you can only make enough money off of touring if there's people showing up at, at the shows. Mm-hmm. It is a delicate balance between just enough people and maybe more than you're comfortable with, I guess. Right. I really appreciate you sharing these stories with me and your perspective is really refreshing. I'm glad we got to have this conversation. No, thank you for the opportunity. I'm super glad I got to do this with you as well. My pleasure. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to share? Honestly, right now, if y'all want to go check out my single and music video, everybody, Y'all can do that. I'm working on projects for for you guys. And other than that, just, you know, be safe. Wear your mask. Use that hand sanitizer. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Everybody want to be mature, but don't nobody want to grow. Everybody want to ride a boat, but don't nobody want to row. Everybody really want to fly, but don't nobody want to flow. But everybody dope. Everybody dope. I said everybody dope. Well, speaking of your music and your music videos, where is the best place for people to find that online? Honestly, everywhere at this point. If you use every streaming platform, and then uh, for the music videos, YouTube, and then I have little uh, videos of me rapping on my Instagram. But yeah, pretty much every platform. And then I also, I don't know if you know about the Loom streaming platform, 
but it's a new platform on the way it's it's growing very rapidly and uh i'm on that platform as well and from time to time i like to drop little exclusives on there so if you don't see me dropping no music on spotify and apple music and all that there's probably new music on loom all right and loom pays you a little better than average don't they yeah, they actually do. The, the cool thing is you can, you as a fan, you can literally send me as much money as you want. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, imagine like a cash app, but they actually take in a certain percentage. That's really clever though. Wow. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's super cool. It's it's very cool. But you have to, even on there, you have to grow a following to get paid. <laughs> true. True that. You need the audience. You need exactly. the customers. So it's not like you can download the app tomorrow and just be rich in two days. It's <laughs> not, not going to work. <laughs> yeah, you need the fans to want to send you the money in the first place. Right. So you got to make good music. Damn straight. All righty. So they will just search D Harmon, any streaming platform, Instagram, Twitter. Yes, ma'am. Hell yeah. Well, thank you again. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. It was a cool conversation. Good energy. (laughs) I'm glad you think so. so. It's my pleasure. Please check the show notes for links to find D. Harmon's music, social media, and all that fun stuff. One last thing before you go today. There are techniques, strategies, and routines that work best for different people. With that in mind... I encourage you to consider this. There's going to come a point where you need to make what feels like a big move, whether it's literally moving to a new city or a new country, or maybe it's quitting your day job so you can be an artist full time. Whatever that big move is for you, it's going to take you out of your comfort zone and it's going to feel different, maybe a little overwhelming, like you're not sure it was the right choice. This is the magic, and also the challenge with being an independent creator. You make all the big decisions. And sometimes it's going to be hard to push yourself outside of what feels comfortable. Dee Harmon did exactly that when he decided to move to Austin, Texas. When I decided to go all in on this Musicians Can Thrive podcast, I was definitely intimidated at the beginning. But I kept working on it. A little more every week. And soon, I'll need to make another move to push even farther outside of my comfort zone. So where are you at? Is it time for you to make a big move? If you don't have a mentor already that you trust to help you grow, I would definitely make an effort to find a mentor like that first. And having that kind of support will make going beyond your comfort zone much less intimidating.